Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Michael Reed on LMFM. Monday morning, the 11th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. There are 147,613 people who are known to have coronavirus in Ireland this morning. Just under 1,500 of them are in hospital. 125 are critical and receiving treatment in ICU. Yesterday alone saw 100 people admitted to hospital. The current variants show that the virus is doing its best to make itself more suitable to ongoing circulation within the human population. The pressure on our hospitals was spelt out over the weekend by a nurse who works in our Lady of Lourdes Hospital and said on social media that patients are left sitting in every free space possible while ambulances are arriving with new patients who have to be left on stretchers. Staff are worked to the bone. There is now one nurse providing care to every nine patients as the hospital is understaffed and many staff are out of work themselves because of the virus. Are we going to allow those people who are vulnerable and those people who are most at risk to get sick and die from this virus. The pressure on the hospital in Drogheda is similar in every hospital in the country. Live on air, online and on the Highland Radio app, this is Highland Radio News. In Letterkenny, though, it's all the worst. Local station Highland Radio reports today on how there was no room for patients in the hospital, resulting in them being treated in the car park. Patients had to be treated in ambulances outside Letterkenny University Hospital last night, according to the INMO. They say seven patients were left waiting in ambulances as there wasn't enough space in the hospital because of COVID-19. The Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation says its staff are under unprecedented pressure in the facility and the emergency department is packed. Letterkenny today, tomorrow the Lourdes or any Irish hospital for that matter, according to Professor Paddy Mal. What happened in Letterkenny, when, when you look at it, is that they have a, a pathway for patients presenting with COVID and then they have a, a pathway for patients that present without COVID. And a lot of the hospitals around the country, including St. Vincent's, have a similar sort of setup. And if you have a big surge of people coming into hospital with either confirmed or suspected COVID, there's only a limited capacity at the front of house to, to manage those patients safely. Minister Damien English is on the line with us uh, this morning and good morning to you Minister and thanks for joining us. It's hard not to be concerned when you hear what Professor Mallon had to say there or indeed what Dr Tedros or, or Mike Ryan had to say before him. Uh, we, we really are in a, a crisis situation at this stage. Good morning Michael and, and thanks for having me on. 
Uh, yes, Michael, we are in a, a very difficult month ahead of us. Uh, all our officials have been speaking of this for the last week, that as those numbers are rising with the number of incidents and the cases, that we were going to feel the pressure in our hospitals. And we're seeing that now, loud and clear, right across the country. Um, so we are going to have a really, really difficult four or five weeks ahead of us as we get through this third wave. It looks very clearly that the third wave is going to be the most serious wave and it's going to put immense pressure on everybody working on the front line right across our hospital network. But I do believe that they're much better place and we're much better place than we would have been a year ago. We have an extra, at this stage, an extra 1,000 beds in the system. There are more high ICU beds. There's about 6,000 extra staff. It'll still mean immense pressure because no matter what you do, a health service will be under pressure with a, with a vaccine with these numbers. Thankfully, in the letter Kenny case, the HSE were able to put in place plans, bring in extra staff and get those extra beds opened, which meant that the, 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 the difficulties of the ambulance were short-lived. Mm. Very, very serious, and we have to do all we can to prevent that happening. But we've seen that... But the, ch- the challenge, I suppose, in Letterkenny or in Drogheda, as we heard from uh, that staff or so over the weekend, is that quite often the staff aren't available because they're out themselves, because they have the virus, or they've been a close contact uh, of somebody who has the virus. Absolutely, Michael. That's why, mm. and, I, and I read uh, all the correspondence from that staff nurse in Drogheda. I mean, you can see really from her first-hand experiences, how difficult it is to be on the front line, how the numbers are under so much pressure coming into A&E, people you know, trying to reach them all and wanting to help them the best they possibly can and give them the care they need. The couple of key things are here, that yes, there are quite a significant number of staff that are out of work because of either directly linked to somebody with COVID or close contact or have COVID themselves or are in danger. So that is an issue and the extra staff are needed to accommodate for that. We do have extra staff, but it's quite clearly will be uh, really stretched in the month ahead to be able to manage this. And the HSE have different plans of intervention at different stages. Mm. Um, at the moment, there are a lot of staff that are close contacts that, that don't have COVID, that are out of work, and they're not, they're not being brought in. That is an issue down the line if we need to move to that. But Letterkenny can prove, did prove, that when they were able to call in staff, they were able to do it and can react. So those plans need to be stepped up across the system as well. But I'm not trying to downplay this. This is going to be an extremely serious number of weeks ahead of us until these numbers start coming down. We are already uh, close to where we were uh, last year uh, in terms of the ICU beds. I think at one stage, at the highest point last year, the number of ICU beds that, that were needed for COVID patients was about 158, 160. We're now at 125. So we are at a very critical stage and the numbers are certainly um, heading to be a lot higher than the first wave. It was said quite a lot over the last nine, ten months mm. that the third wave or additional waves could become more serious because of the different variants uh, of the of the, the vaccine or sorry, of, of the virus and that's what's happening now. We are seeing the different variants at play here as well, as well as the numbers. Mm. So it's far more transmissible and more people are, are getting it as a result and more people who get it, the more people so I, who I need hospital treatment and the more people who need hospital treatment, the more yeah, people but, who but need ICU care. care. I think to be clear that the best way we can manage this is to stop people getting the virus in the first place. Mm. And that means that all of us, every one of us, have to play our part to stop the spread of the virus, follow the advice. I know it's difficult, it's really, really hard uh, for families, for individuals, for people living on their own, everybody with these restrictions uh, on the level five. But mm. we need to have them enforced. We, we all need to follow it because 
that's the best way to, 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 to stop the vaccine spread. Pe- pe- people are very tired of it all. I, I, I'm sure there's no doubt about that, Minister. I'm sure you're tired of it. I'm tired of it. But the reality is, as you say, that if we follow the advice, if everybody follows the advice that we're all so aware of and we all understand so well at this stage, none of us would get the coronavirus. And if you look this morning at the 125 people who are in ICU, they're very, very sick people. They are critical in hospital and need very intensive care. Uh, and uh, uh, as a result of that care, some, if not many, of them will survive, but undoubtedly some of them will die. Uh, and it will get to a stage, if it continues like this, where there won't be an ICU bed for them. Uh, and that is the real concern that the health professionals have at the moment. I see Luca O'Neill uh, this morning saying uh, that the number of uh, deaths could surpass 100 people on a daily basis. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of points Michael you're making there, and they're very fair points you're making. Um, absolutely, if we can all play our part, we can break the break break the chain here and stop this virus spreading. We have, on two previous occasions as a country, come together and push this uh, this wave of virus back in in the first wave and the second wave. This is the third one, and it's probably the most serious one. So we'll need extra effort by all of us. But you're absolutely right. Everybody is wore out and just completely and utterly fed up of COVID-19. But they're also extremely worried. And as you can see fear in people's eyes now because everybody you talk to now now knows somebody that's had it or, or has got it now, which is different to what we would have seen in the first couple of waves. So the answer to that are, of course, the vaccine is, is number one when we get it. But we have to get to the stage and keep everybody alive until we can, can get the vaccine uh, into them. And that's the key here. So for the next couple of weeks... It's very, very important that we do all we can to keep people virus-free until we get the vaccine. Well, it'll be more than a couple of weeks, won't it? I mean, this is... Yeah, uh, but but in fairness, yeah, look, Michael, in in some cases, mm. the the vaccine will take a bit of time to roll out. I don't don't mean that we'll have the vaccine out in a couple of weeks, but in terms of this torn Mm. wave... Well, best-case scenario, the nursing home residents will be vaccinated by the end of February. We're looking at the... we're looking at the tail end of the summer in reality before this mass vaccine. Yeah, well, I'll commit that in two, two, two seconds. But, but, but just to be clear, this wave, if we can push these numbers down, we can get this wave under control uh, and, and leave us in the best position then to roll out the vaccine in the months ahead. And just in relation to two things there, first of all, the pressures on the hospital, and you refer to Luke O'Neill, we do have, and I want to be clear on this, we do have uh, a lot more ICU beds this year than we had last year. We have, at this stage, nearly 2,000 ventilators. The majority of them we didn't have last year. We do have a much better understanding of how to treat and how to manage patients. So I think we are in a better place to help patients through this. But we still don't want people to end up in ICU because you are absolutely right. If you're in ICU, you are in a very, very serious health situation. And there's no doubt about that. So we want to try to prevent that if we can, as well as give all the resources to the HSE to manage and treat patients as best they possibly can to give them their best chance of survival during this. And I do think as a, as a country, we, you know, if we all come together, we can get this under control. The other point you mentioned is around the vaccine and how long it'll take or do we have a date. We are part of a purchasing agreement with the EU, which we entered into last summer. And we committed taxpayers' money to the, uh, this country to the purchase of about 16 million vaccines. Um, I do believe that agreement and that process that we're involved in will give us guarantee of supply in the weeks and months ahead that, mm. that others might not see. And that means that our vaccination programme will be increased and can be increased accordingly as we get that supply 
each month that supply will increase. Oh, over the over over the coming months, uh, I think we're going to realise how lucky we are in this country to be able to avail of a, a vaccine. We'll be looking at third world countries uh, that will not see their people vaccinated, and there is going to be a, a, a very uh, huge question for people to look at uh, in terms of uh, the morality of all of this. Uh, and yeah. we're going to see the, the countries who have get vaccinated and the countries who have not, not get vaccinated. Yeah, there, there's two things there, Michael, and that's a very, very fair, fair point. So as a government, we have to make decisions on behalf of this country to do two things. Make sure that we can protect the public health of our, uh, and the health of our, our own residents living here, as well as make sure we roll out a vac- vaccination programme as quickly as we possibly can, which we are doing. But we also have a moral duty to help those other countries as well. And we are part uh, of international programmes uh, and committing resources, uh, both financial and other resources, mm. to make sure that there are va- va- vaccines provided to those countries which are under immense pressure. It doesn't mean that they're going to have a guaranteed supply or as quick as our country will, mm. but we are part of those programmes. And, it's heavy no, and it, it means that whilst all of us will get vaccinated, they're old, they're vulnerable, their frontline healthcare workers won't get vaccinated in some circumstances. We're one of just 42 countries in the world at the moment uh, who can provi- provide a vaccine uh, to the people living in uh, this country. But as you say, Minister, it's going to take some time before we feel safe as a, a nation because enough people have been vaccinated, hence the lockdown. Uh, we're here till at least the end of, of January. I take it before then there's the prospect uh, that we could see even more stringent measures uh, and that this could be extended out to the end of February, if not the end of March. Yeah, look, Cabinet is meeting uh, regularly, uh, probably twice a week at this stage, and, and all ministers and all departments are feeding into the various committees and working groups. So, so in conjunction with, the, with NEFIT and all our experts, this has been constantly monitored. Uh, and we will make decisions uh, on a weekly basis or on a daily basis if need be to stop the spread of this virus. Do you think the um, schools we, will open uh, and do you think that the Leaving Cert uh, students uh, will be sitting exams this year? Yeah, there's two things there. Of course the priority is to reopen schools as quickly as we possibly can and naturally to prioritise children with special needs and a special education system along with the Leaving Cert pupils. So that is the, the ongoing plan and strategy in conjunction with stakeholders to try to get to that spot as quickly as we possibly can. I can't give you a timeline now, Michael, nobody can, mm. because we have to track the spread of this. Because you have to listen to the public health experts. Uh, it yes, seems as true. though the holy grail of opening the schools was ignored by Minister Foley last week. Yeah, just, just number one, and then number two, you're asking about the leave and start. Again, all our stakeholders in the education system, and clearly the students uh, and the teachers and the parents who are central to that decision, that has been looked at and been reviewed. We are heading, heading into a stage very soon that people would, have, would be starting mocks normally, and then you have the leave and start. So that has been that will be the focus of the next couple of weeks of the education stakeholders to make the decision what's best there for everybody and in a timely manner. And I think those decisions will be made during the month of uh, probably in, in, moving into February. But we will have clarity mm. and a clear direction. There was an awful mess last week, wasn't it? The, the minister said the schools were the Leaving Cert students were coming back in for three days and then had to do a, a U-turn on, on that uh, and was caught out, really, uh, despite the bluffing and fudging, uh, to have ignored the public health advice. I think we're gone beyond trying to catch out or catch people out. We're in a very, very serious situation. Well, that's exactly the point that I'm saying, that the minister yeah. shouldn't have been playing that game. The minister yeah, should have been straight. OK, I just want to finish the point. So it's not about uh, Norma Foley or any government or a teacher or anybody having to, to change direction. It, we, we attempted and we tried with the best advice of Neffert, and I, you can see that from the letters on the 5th of, 5th of January mm. and before that as well. They, they did see that there was the option there to, 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 to have some limited 
reopening of our education system because of the success from September to December in keeping the virus under control in our education system. The Minister and the Department of Education, backed up by the government, genuinely want to have leaving certs back in classes as soon as possible. Mm. Now, as it turned out, the agreement for that wasn't there or couldn't be reached because people are very, very afraid uh, of, of the spread of the virus as well. So with all the... Yeah, and they, they heard what Tony Hulan had to say. They read the letter and they understood uh, that there was too much of a risk to reopening the schools given the level of transmission of the virus in the community. OK, Michael, if you, I'm, I'm happy to go through Tony Hulan's letter, but actually it's a little bit different than that. Mm. Uh, they did reference earlier, uh, sorry, in the, in probably at the end of December... That, that they did believe education system could be reopened. That's right, from I, September to December. Sorry, Michael, at the end of December, I'm saying. Yes, in, from so September in, to December 2020, the letter says uh, that, uh, in his view, Tony Hulhan believed uh, that the school system had clearly demonstrated uh, themselves to be a safe environment. The current epidemiological situation has deteriorated to a point where the significant levels of mobility and linked activity that the full reopening of schools would generate cons- constitutes yes. a very significant additional risk in the context of what are already unprecedented levels of disease transmission in the community. It's very clear that he he was saying, do not open the schools. Yeah, so, so, so thanks, Michael, for reading out the letter, because that clarifies the point I'm trying to make. He said the full reopening. So Cabinet, in conjunction with NEFET and all our public health teams and our education mm. system, looked through this advice, looked through the, the guidance and the incident rates, and a decision was made not to fully reopen the education system, because for exactly that reason, you would have an additional 1 million people moving throughout the country, which would not help control the virus. Yeah, so you cherry-picked the letter. You didn't go back to Tony Hulan, and you didn't ask for advice from Nefis. Okay, so there's ongoing engagement daily, and probably even by the hour, of engagement and conversations with Nefis and all our public health team. The Cabinet then have to make a decision. So the decision was made to try to prioritise, because I think, as to any family of a child with special needs, they are under immense pressure in the home and they need to have some sort of services like education mm. other services open as quickly as they possibly can, number one. Number two, our leave insert are, 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 are at a very vulnerable stage of their educational plan for the year ahead. Mm. And mm. it's mm. fully believed that they will be better off to have some in-class tuition. Well, of that course, if it was possible, but it's not possible. But, and thankfully, common sense prevailed and the government changed its mind and decided to do the right thing, despite uh, ignoring the advice of NEFED yeah, up so to so that to point or seeking additional advice yeah, from so them. To be, to be clear on that, where that is at now, so the decision was then in conjunction with all the stakeholders to pause that decision and not to return leaving Leibniz to school. So at the moment now, we're, we're, all the education stakeholders are feeding into a conversation around this to see when can we get uh, prioritise pupils back into, edu- mm. into into classroom education. And that's where the conversation will be over the next couple of weeks. And okay. we'll make the right decision. It, and it'll, it'll be held in the context of, of perhaps 100 people losing their lives every day, perhaps this lockdown going on till the end of February, the end of March, uh, and all of the other things we've been talking yeah, about. So if that happens, Minister, uh, is this country going to find itself bankrupt? So there's two things there. Uh, every decision that we make uh, as a government is uh, with a view to the figures and spread of the virus. Every week. It's not that we decide, yeah, so that is something we constantly do. And number one is always to be protect people's public health. And I think we've proven that over the last 10 months, that as a government, as a country, the political system in general has made decisions on behalf of people's health first. And that will always continue absolutely without a doubt. Number two, uh, will, we, will we face bankruptcy as a country? No. We come into this, um, having spent 10 years recovering from a financial crisis, uh, 
trying to manage our public finances back into a, into a, into a surplus position. So that means our public finances were in good order when we started uh, 2020. And that left us in a strong position to be able to access the funding we needed, uh, both from EU level, both from borrowings, uh, but also from our own resources to be able to manage uh, a minus of 21, a deficit of 20, uh, close to 21 billion for 2020. And that money, taxpayers' money, was used to respond to A, the medical needs um, and demands of 2020, but also responding in support to families and to businesses and everybody who was needed. And uh, I think the actual figure was less than that. I think it was around 19 or 19 and a half. When I I say 21 billion, Michael, because we had a surplus of Mm. 2 billion. So the total extra spend because of COVID is close to 20. But when will we run out of money? I mean, if we go go from lockdown to lockdown, because Pascal Donoghue, I I thought, uh, towards uh, the latter end of last year, said that we would run out of money by the end of this year if we stayed in lockdown. Actually, recognised that Ireland was one of the, the, the strongest public finances situation of a country to come, coming into COVID. We were in a very strong position, and that's why we were able to borrow close to five billion last year yeah. uh, at minus, at, at, at yeah. less than zero. They're, they're paying us to take the money off them, yeah. Because, yeah. and yeah. that's not because they like us. It's because our public finances are well managed and in good order, and we can show that we have a budget that will deal with COVID and all the follow from that this year and put this country on a recovery plan thereafter. Of course, we want to avoid lockdowns as much as we possibly can, but they are necessary sometimes to bring the virus under control. But we have the resources there. There's, there's the health service has never had the resources it has. Now we spend that money wisely and as quickly as best we can to beef up the teams. But also, there's, a, there's billions extra in, in taxpayers' money for funding, for, for businesses, for families, people who are at work. Mm. That doesn't mean that as a country we get to replace every lost euro that people have suffered in their businesses or as families. Okay. But we're trying to help as many as we possibly can survive and get through this to be in a position to, to, to reopen their business, restart their business and regrow them again and as families to pay the bills and the necessity bills in the weeks and months ahead. So we are in a strong position. Budget uh, that, was, that was passed in October uh, set aside money allowing for a very difficult year based on COVID. Well, it's going to be a difficult year, so thankfully we'll be able to see our way through it. But we'll leave it there for the moment, Minister. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us, as always, this morning. That's uh, Minister of uh, State in uh, the Department uh, of uh, Enterprise, uh, Damien English, who's a Fine Gael TD for Meath West. Michael Reed on LMFM. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 